This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with my good friend Daniel Merrill, also known as A Path Untold. How's it going today, brother? It's going quite well, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a beautiful day. It is. It is. I'm glad we could uh, set aside this time to chat. It's been a long time coming. I've been looking forward to this for a while, so thank you for being here. I very much appreciate the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful. So you create amazing music under the moniker A Path Untold. Um, For those that don't know your music yet, you can find it on timewheel.net. We featured a number of your releases as well as you've done uh, a release with us of an EP, um, which was awesome. And I would recommend everyone dive into your music. It's a very deep, psychedelic, spiritual, just like great dance music too, um, with beautiful textures. Um, so I wanted to kick it off and ask, how did you get into music? Well, you know, what is your story with how your interest in music began? For sure. Um, well, so I was brought up in a pretty musical household. Um, I grew up in the Appalachian mountains in a very isolated and remote setting. Um, my father is a lifelong musician and guitarist and banjo player. Uh, I'm super into the bluegrass culture. Um, I was raised around that, but very much under the influence of his musical passions and um, a lot of important music from his generation that was just around at all times. Um, I very much discovered my obsession for music probably around the age of three, uh, just putting on his records and dancing to them and uh, getting mm-hmm. lost in the magic of, of that. So um, I, as I was ultimately became a teenager and grew up in this highly removed, high, I mean, and I can't emphasize enough really how isolated it was, uh, as an only child of, until I was around age 12 uh, when my sister was born anyway, music became like I I started playing guitar when I was 12 or so and started emulating Nirvana and the grunge movement and uh, started to just realize that I could express myself most efficiently through that medium and started obsessively practicing all the time, um, became a way of life, started skipping school and just becoming more and more obsessed with expressing myself through guitar um, Mm -hmm. because there really wasn't anyone around to start a band with or, you know, I was pretty much on my own. Um, It was a very solitary exploration. Uh, Mm -hmm. One day my dad brought home a four track recorder and I realized the power of tracking myself and uh, recording all of the parts and, basically playing drums on like a super rudimentary Casio keyboard and uh, playing all the guitar parts and doing vocals and pitching down my guitar and playing bass parts. Um, (laughs) So just super crude at the time, but it got the job done and really got me hooked on this one man band, like producer mindset. Uh, That was really my life throughout my teen years. And, helped me get through a lot of hard times. Um, I was pretty 
rebellious and sought out a lot of, you know, counterculture. Like I rebelled against bluegrass, basically like whatever wasn't around me culturally is what I was interested in. So, you know, um, hip hop and metal were sort of my primary obsessions. And then I discovered Nine Inch Nails when I was like 16. Um, I was really into melodic Gothic metal and then industrial and started to be curious about synthesizers. Um, and that ultimately just led into a deeper and deeper fascination with production. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like my early beginnings with how I got into music and got hands on with it. Um, I love that. It's funny how many students Trent Reznor spawned. Exactly. You know, because yeah. I'm the same exact boat. Um, Nine Inch Nails was one of my favorite first bands. And we would, how you were saying emulate Nirvana, we would kind of emulate Nine Inch Nails. And we would do covers uh, as a band when we were probably, let's say, like 14 to 16 years old, me and a couple of friends. Uh, yeah, that just that tonality of the synthesizers and the, the seriousness of the sound. It really felt like true deep art that he was able to bring up and out. And that was just super inspiring. And you're not the first person on my podcast to say that one of their biggest influences uh, into getting into electronic music has been Nine Inch Nails. So I think that's just a funny thing that happens when you know, uh, a lot of the people I interview that are into music are also like kind of psychedelic people. And it, it, I did not understand how psychedelic Trent Reznor's music was when I was first hearing it. Um, especially the lyrics, because I just had no context for it. You know, I was a kid, but now when I listen back, it's like, Oh man, this guy is super psychedelic, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, the lyrics were, you know, could be taken in so many different contexts. They're like multidimensional. So, you know, even though they were relevant to us in our teenage times before we had the psychedelic context, you listen to them later in life and, and you realize how many dimensions apply to it. And uh, yeah. I think that that also kicked off my love of like multiple entendre kind of connotations uh, musically, like interpretive work that isn't so literal it tells you how to take it like it's up for interpretation uh so yeah it's a massive influence on me for sure one thousand percent also very very into bands uh like paradise lost and typo negative uh, which gave me this love of super dramatic uncompromising melody and uh just like ethereal deep heavy huge epic music Mm-hmm. So that's a very strong influence as well. Absolutely. Did you ever see Nine Inch Nails live? Yeah, I did eventually. Um, only once. I went to like, I think it was Lollapalooza in uh, 98. And mm. yeah, totally life-changing. Yeah, I saw them live a couple of times just for their own shows. And absolutely life-changing for sure. It was just absolutely. like, wow, this is what I feel called to do, you know, which is why I as well got so interested in music. And there are other bands as well, like Tool and A Perfect Circle and a couple of these other bands in that sphere of Nine Inch Nails and and Tool um, that were very inspiring to me. But but I think Trent Reznor is definitely up there as like a, 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 a 
you know, one of the top inspirations. Um, so you were kind of really interested into industrial music at this point, but you had been playing guitar. What brought you to electronic music festivals and the rave scene? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, <laughs> I, I had this pretty, um, traumatic and life-changing experience when I was 17 I was in a car accident. I broke my back. I severed my spinal cord by mm. 65% and was paralyzed from the waist down. It took me 13 months to learn to walk again. Luckily, wow. I regained my mobility. Um, I had been sort of on a dark road with just like metal as much as a lot of that music spoke to me and was super cathartic in helping me um, translate and, and was very therapeutic for me in my life, translate mm -hmm. my emotions. Um, it also kind of put me on a lifestyle that wasn't necessarily positive. And when mm -hmm. I broke my back and had to learn to walk all over again, it was this extremely life affirming experience um, and made me really realize that I want to be on this planet and that I want to create for more positive uh, outcome um, and it sort of changed my understanding of how and why and for what purposes art and music could be used. Mm -hmm. um, that led me to ultimately start dabbling with psychedelics. Um, and I was still into industrial music for a number of years. I, I ultimately, I probably obsessively made industrial for like four years, probably from the age of, uh, 18 to 22 or so. Um, mm -hmm. But throughout that process, I was also experimenting and being very quite open to a lot of other genres of music that I hadn't previously. And that was this really key time in the late nineties that rave culture and all these, this kind of wild world of electronic music and all the many genres within it started to come to, you know, a bit more uh, global awareness. Um, I discovered a few really pivotal records that changed my life. Um, started to, you know, listen to like Underworld and Orbital and, um, you know, Aphex Twin. And I discovered mm -hmm. Aphex. At first, I didn't get it at all and Same. was kind of bothered by it. And yeah. After a few weeks of sort of <laughs> repeated listens that were imposed upon me by a friend of mine, <laughs> it just, it started to change how I heard music. Um, mm -hmm. I discovered some really pivotal radio stations as well. At the time, there was this radio station coming out of Seattle called Groove Tech. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it would be just be DJs uh, playing everything from techno and house to drum and bass and down tempo and chill out, um, IDM all over the map. And I just started to become exposed to these other types of music that I just hadn't realized existed. And I still at that point had never gone to a rave. Um, again, I lived super in the middle of nowhere in the Appalachian mountains, didn't know anyone who was into this culture or anything. So it was, you know, quite, uh, removed from it. And then in 99, literally on the 
uh, on New Year's Eve of going into 2000, that whole Y2K uh-huh. scare. That yep. night, I discovered, well, I had my first MDMA experience, and mm-hmm. uh, I discovered the album Rhythm and Stealth by Left Field. And those two things just completely, completely altered how I heard music totally. and the things that I valued in it. And um, I realized that rave culture and the rave scene were truly calling my name and I needed to know what that was about. Um, So I started seeking out raves and club experiences at the time. It was nation and this club called uh, was the club was called nation. The event was called buzz in DC. A lot of old school ravers will (laughs) rant, rant forever uh, poetically about those events that had a huge impact on East coast rave culture. And so many people were, you know, in -hmm. that whole kind of hive of, uh, experience. And yeah, I just started to experience, um, music and, and just kind of communal tribal dance experiences that transformed my outlook on life. Uh, that became an obsession and I, felt the inclination to dedicate my life to exploring electronic music as a spiritual practice and a a therapeutic practice. That was kind of the beginning. Um, I, in 2001 discovered, well, I had, I had technically speaking, I don't know if we're getting into a production wormhole just yet, but Mm -hmm. I had been of course, through my industrial and metal recording and production phase, like had discovered cakewalk and fruity loops and various things like that. But then in, and in able in 2001, I discovered Ableton live in its beta version and Mm -hmm. that changed everything. So that became like my daily life was exploring and starting to teach myself production based on translating the inspiration from these rave experiences. Uh, So that was really at the beginning of my path with it. Wow, amazing. Uh, I wanted to dive a little deeper into what about MDMA helped you understand music on a new level and what was the general uh, effect that MDMA had on you the first time that you took it? For sure. Um, I, at the time, had, and again, to reiterate, leading up to that fateful night and uh new year's eve in 99 mm-hmm. had been dealing with a lot of depression um social anxiety extremely intense social anxiety which i think was also a byproduct of living in this somewhat repressed very repressed rural isolated area where i felt totally misunderstood and unseen and um just not accepted i had never fit in (laughs) there and you know there was a lot of uh repressive thought happening around in the area and all of that and uh i experienced i had experienced a few other psychedelic um journeys before that just like with lsd and that's Mm -hmm. its own topic but so i was i was into that and that was helping in a lot of ways but uh with mdma it provided this, the experience provided this glimpse at transcending and just through the serotonin rush and the sense of euphoria 
and the sense of camaraderie and love and um, connection with the people around me through that experience, I really caught a glimpse of what it felt like for the first time since being almost a child mm-hmm. of what it, what it felt like to feel fully accepted and loved and the ability to reciprocate that and just to feel at home in the world. It helped me transcend um, my social anxiety mm-hmm. and really just allowed me to feel what that was like and give me a taste of that uh, for the first time in a very long time. It was, it was incredibly refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that experience coupled with the music, um, it, it provided this sensory explosion of euphoria and like a sense of futurism and a sense of mysticism in the, you know, just through the unity of the sound, the, you know, it's hard to quantify how the MDMA experience uh, Mm -hmm. makes your brain react, but ultimately a sense of infinity and unbounded love became synonymous with the musical experience and what was possible through that. And that just completely opened my eyes mm-hmm. to using music for a different purpose. Right. Um, yeah. I know what you mean. I feel like what's been unveiled to me through psychedelic experiences and even things like MDMA is that music is a realm traveling technology. It can literally take you on a ride, like through your mind. Um, and even more than that, like just, it just really is the one seemingly most important energy frequency delivery device of transcendence and these inner realms of mind. Like, I don't know if anything other than music can guide you as well through these psychedelic experiences, you know? Like, that's why I think the practice of drumming has been tied to shamanic ritual, shamanic states of consciousness for thousands and thousands of years. It's because it it does allow, whether it's rhythm in the sense of like, you know, they're shaking these leaves or they're actually hitting drums, like deerskin drums and that type of thing, or um, actually singing. Like music has held this kind of sacred role in helping people journey. And I really did find that that was definitely one of the most impactful experiences of my life, which, you know, music I had already loved. I didn't, I didn't think it was possible to love music any more than I did already. But then with these psychedelic states, it was like, oh, music is even more important than I thought it was and more universal and more healing than I ever thought was possible. So I definitely relate to what you're talking about. Totally. <clears throat> Very much agreed. Um, yeah, there's been, I could safely say that there's been many times in my life that without music, I probably wouldn't have made it here. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was, that was a handful of experiences that really shaped me. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I started to follow that path devoutly in terms of 
you know, just exploring psychedelics and the MDMA experience and electronic music as a unified um, vehicle, like you said, to explore mm -hmm. my own consciousness and a sense of unbounded connection with other people, which was extremely refreshing to me and, and ultimately set me on uh, a course that has brought me to where I am. So, Absolutely. So at some point in time, you were introduced to ayahuasca. Um, give me some background as to how things like LSD and MDMA led to ayahuasca and what was your initial experience with ayahuasca and then how did that inform the work that you felt you were here on earth to do um, musically? Indeed. <clears throat> um, well, so ayahuasca didn't come until many years later, actually. Um, mm. I had first, before that, actually just experienced DMT, um, which sort mm -hmm. of created a backdrop for context for experiencing ayahuasca later. But, you know, the, the blast-off DMT experience, I had an encounter with that probably, I would say, roughly eight years before I tried or went into the ayahuasca realm. Mm -hmm. So that experience was, <laughs> was a catalyst for curiosity about the ayahuasca experience, but they're very different. And I don't know, perhaps going into that would, would give a little more context. Yeah. Um, how are they different? I feel like there are people who are very, very dedicated to this pursuit that could speak on this a lot more than, than I can, of course. But in my personal experience, um, DMT has been a full on immersion in going somewhere else. Um, and that somewhere else as I'm sure most people who have done it will agree is a sense of source. It's a sense of like the Godhead where all, all existence seems to originate and or, um, uh, you know, it has this omnipresent space that permeates that, that feels like all things are derived from that, from that base level of energy and vibration. So for me, DMT has been this full on like catapulting your consciousness, losing all sense of self, and <clears throat> occupying that space, which in all of my experiences have looked very much like an Alex Gray painting. Yeah. And, you know, you, you really have no sense of identity. Well, I, again, speaking from my own experience, my sense of identity has completely dropped in those moments. Mm -hmm. I forget that I'm a human being. I forget yeah. that, you know, I have any sort of, um, uh, human traits even. And it's just a complete immersive sense of, um, observing the source of existence and mm -hmm. being it. So the, the, the perspective and the, ex of observing it and the experience of being it are one and the same. There's not really any differentiation. You're like an eye opening, looking at another eye, like seeing yourself. So, you know, mm -hmm. um, I wonder what it is that causes us to have that recognition 
uh, because it's almost, you know, most people have that experience. Like what, what is the signature that we're reading that this is where everything comes from? You know, that's interesting to me. It's like we register this notion that this is where, this is the source. This is where it all comes from. I wonder what, what would you say is that signature, you know, that resonates with you that kind of gives you that information that that download very interesting yeah it's um for me when dmt hits my system there's a sense of remembrance or familiarity or coming yes. home Absolutely. and your whole body just like everything that you are everything that you know feels that sense of coming home um it's rather than there being any criteria that you can deduce that this is the case, you just know that this is the case. It's a sense of knowingness that permeates uh, everything that you are and beyond. And uh, yeah, that's about the best way I can answer it. It's there's just, it induces gnosis. Yeah. There's a sense of that. There's no question. It's a, it's just a complete remembrance. Um, Yeah. And then you occupy that remembrance and it's a very, very, it's the deepest thing I've ever felt. Yeah. That's why I think it's a perfect metaphor and why people say that they have like no fear of death after these experiences. And it's not like you want to die. Like no one wants to die, especially in a painful way, but it's just that, you know, that you're going to return to this gnosis again. And now we have this inner, we have this glimpse before death actually happens that there can be a transition of a state from this ego this body this life into a completely other and we're okay with it you know what i mean we have that experience and then it's like oh so if that can happen just with dmt then in these more you know the brain itself is so highly advanced and it said that we only use 10 percent of it um, so that there must be mechanisms in the brain to be able to take care of us through other shifts. And I don't know, that's why to me, it definitely gives this sense of spirituality and knowing that you're more than this one body and this one life and that, that we're part of something much, much greater. You know, what do you think? Yeah. It's a sense of unbounded, you know, it, it's, it's remembering that you are infinity and there's no question in your mind and you're able to return with that understanding and experience uh, human life in this plane of reality on this planet through that perspective. And it just gives you this sense of confidence that you are infinity. And when you know that, like it just completely changes your perspective on what your life can be and um, takes, yeah, like it, it, it really deflates your sense of fear of the unknown because yep. you've been there, you know, and, and yeah, right. there's always more that's unknown. That's the nature of infinity. But when you reside in that place of knowingness, it just, it gives you um, a calm demeanor about the, the finiteness or the illusion of finiteness of, uh, yeah. of the human experience, you know, Absolutely. It's really just an illusion. And- and for some, yes, and for some reason, it always has given me more of a sense of agency when I come back, where it's like, I feel like I can drive this body, this meat suit better now, like, because I understand that it's just this play. It's just this 
game, video game, or, you know, it's like this immersion experience, not too unlike VR, but that, I don't know, it's almost like my consciousness is more clear in understanding things that seemingly were like so hard to understand before, like diet and exercise and depression and mental states. And these things, I can just see a new, clearer perspective on them from this like open consciousness state that says, you know what, I know how to address that. I know how to correct that. Like, why am I going to keep making this, like, let's just say eating cheeseburgers, right? Um, When I see that it's so easy to just stop eating that and so much of the negative side effects of that goes away. So it, it lends itself to like a healthier lifestyle generally, where you just are more attentive to the needs of the body the needs of the mind and you're just i don't know a little more into wellness and that's why i think that the space is kind of intermingle like psychedelics and like wellness and psychedelics and spirituality and clean living you know it's not always the case but a lot of times people get this sense of like oh i can direct my life better a little bit what do you think about that yeah for me i think it it has a lot to do with um the dropping of identification because when you transcend, you know, when you, when you enter these experiences, you leave behind everything that you've ever identified with. So when you come back and, and you, you can occupy and kind of permeate that, um, you know, what you glean from that experience, you're able to, to go through the twists and turns of human existence without identifying with things nearly as much, if not at all at the, in in the best of moments. And, um, you know, there's some amount of identification that's just kind of inherent in the human experience. But, But I think that that for me personally, like you're able to play more, you're able to be, feel more playful and be more fluid because you're not taking everything as this, taking it to heart is like, Oh, this is who I am, or this is my identity, or this is, this is defining what I am. It's just a thing you're doing. And there's more fluidity there. And uh, yeah, as far as, you know, I agree with the wellness aspect as well as the creativity aspect and just dealing with duality. Like you're not so boxed into a corner. You're, you're just able to roll with it so much more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, it applies to all facets of life when you come at it from, from that baseline. Yeah. 1000%. Yeah. And then And also, you did say creativity, which makes me think about how a lot of people that were seemingly like kind of not living a creative life before psychedelics tend to favor creativity a lot more after. Um, And it's almost this understanding that there's this channeling of emotion and energy that it can alleviate from the body, from the nervous system by like putting work into a piece of art or a piece of music or whatever your particular form of art is. There's so many ways that it can, you know, exist, even food, cooking, you know, like just having a more artful look or artful approach, I mean, to uh, life in general tends. Yeah, I, I see that over and over and over again. Like after people have a psychedelic experience, a spiritual awakening, they somehow or another want to start creating. It's like, they understand that they can use this inspiration or creative force that they've witnessed to do something that actually will make them happier, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I think, 
you know, when you, when you realize that you're a spark of creation, you, your desire for, you know, the dance of reciprocity with infinity and the universe awakens more. And you realize that you are a spark of creation who can and should, and you are here to create, you know, it's, it's like your inherent purpose uh, of existence is creation to engage in the reciprocity of creation to be created and to create. So it's like <clears throat> when yeah. you, and when you realize that and you experience that you can never go back. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's such a blissful revelation and gives your life such uh, such more joy than it might've ever had before. I think that how can you go back from that? You know, it, it's, you might have times of forgetfulness or times of difficulty where you need to be reminded a bit, but inherently in your heart, you know, this you've experienced it. So you know what life can be when you, when you come at it from a a creative vibrational, you know, Hmm. sense of purpose. So yeah, I think that's, that's everything. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I want, I want to go back into the idea of how ayahuasca differs, but quickly, I just want to say when we do have those moments of forgetfulness, which I do think that they tend to happen to everyone that takes plant medicine, somewhere down the line, there's going to be a moment of, Oh, I'm, I'm having these issues again. Um, and I just think that's why things like they're trying to really bring, there's this like, um, there's this thing happening right now where, people that were super into psychedelics are now really getting into breath work, getting into meditation, getting into yoga, um, getting into just spiritual practice in general. And I think those are the tools that we use to remember um, in the times of forgetfulness. So it's just like whenever you are feeling this disconnect from what you have experienced before, you know, meditating for 20 minutes or um, doing a yoga session or a um, Qigong session or doing a breathwork, you know, YouTube video just for a few minutes can really just start to bring that experience a little more to the forefront. I'm not saying you're going to absolutely like transcend to some psychedelic state, but I think it just like grounds the nervous system allows us to relax, to receive a little more, and then um, helps us remember, essentially. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think when you have those moments of forgetfulness, it's often because you become entangled in webs of thought and the conflict that can arise from that and kind of indulging in illusions that come from that. Um, So I think that, you know, for me, like being in nature... Uh, meditating, breath work, it, all of those things bring me back into my body and kind of allow my mind to uh, take a back seat more, mm-hmm. which then reminds me of, um, you know, then you're operating more on intuition and not so much your the forefront of rational, uh, cerebral, you know, decision making and so on. And that my intuition always reminds me, Hey, remember these beautiful experiences that you had and these beautiful lessons that came through them. Um, they're there for you. They're, they're here for you within you. Like you don't need to go anywhere for them and you don't need to try to think your way out of this. You need to just be again. And, uh, you know, I think that you carry 
all of these these lessons and breakthroughs with you and it's it's not that you need to go anywhere to remember them you just <clears throat> need to put down your uh you know put down your uh your thinking web of conflict so yeah <laughs> absolutely wonderful talk on the effects of dmt um so Ayahuasca is quite a different experience, although the active chemical is the same. Um, what would you say is the difference and how does that kind of, uh, you know, how did your ayahuasca experience go? Yeah, so I was intimidated by ayahuasca for a while, uh, a number of years. I had a very close friend of mine who became incredibly immersed in uh, learning from a variety of very well-respected indigenous practitioners. And it just became a way of life for him. And uh, he introduced me to it. And, you know, for a, for a long time, I was like, yeah, I don't need to, I don't know that I need to go down that road unless I have uh, a particular reason. And, what led me to that reason personally was I had a pretty traumatic relationship occurrence in 2014 that uh, left me with some PTSD and like trust issues and trauma. And it was a really difficult moment in my life. It was one of those kind of crash and burn scenarios where you're like, damn, everything I thought I could count on is, uh, is kind of gone up in the wind and, you know, I need to reassess everything. So, um, I had this moment where my friend was like, look, you can, you can sit here and wallow in this experience, or you can come with me tonight and do two back to back nights of ultra strong medicine work and have a completely new perspective by Sunday. And I was like, all right, when you put it like that, how yep. can I, I have, I have no choice. So I, sub, I submitted to that and it was the best thing I ever did. Um, I, you know, I could, I could go very deeply into the specifics, but, um, that, that I had th those two back to back ceremonies that I did, um, were essentially the second and third times I had partaken so I felt like the compounds that are present in the brew had my body had acclimated that to them at least once before, even though I didn't have a strong experience. Yeah. And I, I believe it's the same with a lot of people, you know, you kind of need to drink it a, yeah. anywhere from one to three times to have a breakthrough. So this particular series of uh, ceremonies that they were my second and third, um, I had an extreme breakthrough. And, um, yeah, for, for a while there, my batch of, of medicine experiences with ayahuasca, um, including those experiences and the ones that followed were very focused on working through this trauma. Um, mm -hmm. and I went to Peru and went to the sacred Valley and sat with, um, some extremely well-respected elders and practitioners and, just really surrendered and submitted to the experience and was very much able to, um, I would say probably on my seventh ceremony, mm -hmm. like <clears throat> cried a hundred tears uh, and each tear felt like it contained a thousand. And it was mm -hmm. just this total um, letting go of, of 
identifying with any kind of pain about anything that had happened. And it was just Mm. beyond liberating. And I feel like at that point it, that was when I truly had my breakthrough moment with it, because then I was able to experience more of just the pure blissful and insightful aspects of, of ayahuasca from that point on. So the ceremonies that I did from that point on have just been, um, not as difficult and not as uh, tumultuous, although somewhat, because I feel like that's inherent in the experience. You're all, there's always more, more um, fear and uh, limitation that you can work through, I feel like, with each experience. But I had put down the bulk of what had been occupying my like emotional space in terms of pain and identifying with that pain and, um, mm-hmm. and conflict. So, when I got to, uh, you know, probably the eighth ceremony, I was able to just start receiving a lot more creatively inspiring and uh, just astounding knowledge from the experience. And mm-hmm. in terms of comparing it to DMT, I feel like one of the primary points of contrast is that with DMT, you're like blasting off, even though you're not geographically per se going anywhere, but like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going into this wormhole of the Godhead and essentially you lose all sense of human identity. And at least I do and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, you're going somewhere else to a sense, like you're shedding your, your, uh, earthly identity and, right. you know, you're not really on earth anymore. Like you're, you're in this other place Uh, with ayahuasca to me the main difference is that you've got one foot on the ground and one foot in the ether and you're able to to instantly in real time see and correlate the differences or you know the the knowledge that you can take from the ether and how you can um and how you can implement that and enact that uh in your life in a way that is going to instantly be effective in your relationships in your creative work in your um, responsibilities, your duties, um, your passions. And that was just, you know, even though DMT experiences have given me such rich um, things to kind of, you know, to, to draw on, like we were just discussing that the experience of understanding that instant correlation was invaluable in a brand new way to me that um, had a lot of impact on my, just how I conduct myself in the world, how I, how I um, view my, my time here on earth and, and what I feel my purpose is and how to embody that to the best of my ability. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the primary difference. It's like yeah. just getting that instant insight of like, I can take, take this amazing awareness of infinity and literally right now <laughs> bring it bring it here and share it with people, you know? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah, I really agree. Um, and I think that it, it has a longer duration as well. And therefore, since you're kind of bound still to your life and not just like catapulted out into infinity, um, it gives you time to work with that transcendence as well. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just has a, like a gent- gentler effect, but it, you can tell it's still the same effect. 
Um, yeah. It's just, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's really cool. I mean, I'd say that <laughs> I'd say the hardest part on it for most people to get around is the purging. Um, oh yeah. So the first time I did it, I did not purge, but it was a mild dose. But the second time it definitely was a lot of, a lot of purging. Um, and then, you know, the fact that people around you too are usually going through that as well. There's this sense of like, we're all in this together, but also this like, uh, this is a little new to me, you know, like this many people throwing up at once can kind of be, you know, odd, you know, we'll just say yes. <laughs> it, it could be odd and something that you've never experienced. Um, but of course, by the time you're in this ayahuasca, I mean, hopefully you're someone who's researched this and come to expect that at least, you know, but um, how was your experience with all that? Yeah, well, the first um, the first, okay. So like ultimately the, the first of that, um, two night ceremony that I was just describing, which was my second and third overall, uh, experiences drinking it. So the, the ultimately my second experience ever, AKA the first night of those two back to back, I did not purge and mm-hmm. it was, um, at least not that much. And I think it ties into this kind of sense of like with a lot of other substances like oh i can handle my shit like i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. you know i don't i i don't need to do this it's on you know it's just not like something i'm predisposed to do and then of -hmm. course that's what ayahuasca does it's just completely humbles your ass and (laughs) and uh and so you know and it it draws it out of you and for me like purging into the purge bucket became a sense of like a cathedral of liberation like i i remember literally remember this vision of the bucket becoming this like portal of light that was well welcoming me to integrate into literally everything and it's like just put down your bullshit Mm -hmm. truly humble yourself and integrate and the bucket became a point of almost worship like a point of reverence where it's like i am surrendering at your feet here and and just give you know just giving everything up and so to me yes it is very odd to have you know up to 50 (laughs) people sometimes in the room projectile vomiting all over the place it's also highly entertaining sometimes but but uh, no you feel you feel very connected with everyone else through that experience and um it's just part of the the part of the humility that you that you gain from and so yeah i I, it's not pleasant it's uh definitely uncomfortable but it's the after effect is just amazing and you feel so much lighter um yeah so i yes i respect the purge yes me too you know i think most people learn to not like it necessarily but to become comfortable with it, become exactly. at one with that part of the experience. And it's like, Hey, it's just part of it. You know what I mean? And you kind of yep. get the culture, you know, because what's funny is like realizing that people like the shamans or the space holders are more than used to this. In fact, this might be a daily occurrence. So there's this culture mesh too, where yeah. you're just like learning about a different way of life. And that's, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Exactly. I mean, another probably the second kind of most notable um, value to me of 
this kind of work is the group context, which at mm-hmm. first I was a little, you know, I'm, I, but just from like the rave scene, like I'm, I am very comfortable and adept at connecting with strangers very easily and quickly and like being open and being fluid in that way. But going through the most um, intense and deep kind of spiritual self-discovery process of your life in a room, you know, it's very, it's a very vulnerable feeling process. And to be in a room with a bunch of people you don't know can of course at first feel a little bit disconcerting and you're unsure of what the outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, that's become kind of my favorite aspect of it is just, the sense of union and um, collective consciousness, you know, rejoining where you're like, I love all these people. Like they love me. We're in this together. And, uh, and the integration that happens after that. um, I mean, ideally for me, all my best experiences have, have uh, been to sit with that same group the next day or the day after. And once everyone's kind of regained their ability to speak and Mm -hmm. to share what you went through and, and that outpouring of, um, of people's insights and their breakthroughs. It's just, um, incredibly inspiring and you gain, you know, you gain so much additional insight that you can use to clarify your own experience just by hearing other people speak about theirs. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's such an incredibly valuable aspect versus, um, say doing DMT on a solo basis, which I love as well. But um, that group yeah. context, I think, is a is a major point to be yeah. aware of. One thousand percent. And not that I'm an expert on this, but I've heard about lo- a lot of stories and experienced it a little bit about how, for some reason, during those sharing circles, people realize that they were experiencing same the same thing as other people sometimes or like this theme entered the space for everyone or more or less like there really is this other place that you travel to together it's not just there you're in your own you know subconscious and everyone's in their own subconscious like it's a merging of the subconscious or some other force you know, coming down and, and giving this more of open and aware version of you, I don't know, a similar experience as other people. And that's always like why I think that they called, um, if it, I don't know if it was DMT, but the, the, I think it, they called it telepathy at first. Yeah. Um, because it was, yeah, like clearly they were joining some space together and that's just like mind blowing. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, for me, that became ever more apparent when I had some group uh, visions that were shared where we all experienced and not, not even like closed eye, like, you know, transporting within there's that too, collectively sharing experiences with people. But I mean, like looking in the room at a particular mm-hmm. point or in the circle and, many people, if not everyone sharing the same vision. Yeah. Uh, that was unbelievable to me. And, totally. uh, and had this experience, for instance, another, at another moment where I stepped outside of the circle for a moment <clears throat> after I was kind of able to 
gained the clarity to do that. And I would, this was a circle of 50 people or so. And I would look at someone and feel this immense amount of just full love for them and feel, you know, on an empathetic level, feel like what they were feeling. And we, I would be, you know, maybe 60 feet away from them. They, their head would be down and their eyes would be closed. And I would be feeling this connection with them and they would look at me and blow me a kiss. And it was just like, this just kept happening. And it was like, (laughs) wow, we're really in this together. It's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. That is beautiful. So when it comes to your music, um, how has ayahuasca impacted, you know, your music and how does, how have you, how's, sorry, how has ayahuasca informed the creation of your music and the spaces that you try to create with the sounds and the textures? For sure. So music creation for me and as for many, has always been the most powerful form of self-therapy and uh, a form of medicine work that, you know, before I really understood the concept of medicine work was medicine work for me. And it's always been extremely um, inherent in that for me to express duality and to express my absolute honesty and authenticity of my life experience and there's one place to me that you can be fully honest music is it and you know to to short yourself on that is literally like a travesty like you should be able to be as honest as possible with your work and that's what i think allows art to shine at its highest value uh, especially when it is shared with others and other people can relate and connect with that. So uh, I think that's like the highest responsibility of art in, in a big way. Uh, So for me, that that's always been an underlying theme uh, an underlying uh, lens Mm -hmm. to look at my own creative practices. And so ayahuasca very, very much doubled down on that for me in terms of just embodying the trajectory of ceremony and uh, kind of going through like a dark night of the soul first and then, and shedding things and working through more difficult emotions, working through um, uh, things that are challenging within yourself and, or uh, things that might be coloring your perspectives and really meeting those things head on and then earning the bliss and the reward and the uplifting mm-hmm. resolution that comes from that. And that just, to me, very, very much amplified my understanding and desire to continue doing that to the nth degree in music. Uh, so for me, like I, I, and this is just what happens. I don't set out to do this, but this is just my intuitive uh, way of being is mm-hmm. and in being honest in the world like the human experience is duality uh, every, you know all of existence is duality and to express that is the most honest thing i can do so mm-hmm. <clears throat> i you know i make that's why i make stuff that's like on the spookier end and more mysterious end of the spectrum mm-hmm. and can be even to some people perhaps on the darker side but then you know i really try to balance that with making uh, uplifting and 
um, you know, stuff that, that really kind of vibes that allow you to feel a sense of transcendence Mm -hmm. within that paradigm of duality. And, uh, yeah, ayahuasca just reaffirmed to me. It's like, yep, this is the way, this is the way to do that. And this is very valuable work when you do that. It's, um, I look for this in, in the music and art that, that I value. I, I just want to see the full story represented. I, I mean, I, I love all sorts of, all sorts of stuff and uh, whatever people want to honestly express, you know, I'm, I'm into that, but this is my honesty. And for me, like life has been full of ups and downs and I want to tell that story as holistically as possible for just for my own sense of, um, meaning and reflection and transmutation because to me it's all about transmutation it's not about dwelling in either side of the duality it's just it's illustrating the integration of it and Mm -hmm. being able to you know to me like an uplifting moment in music is so much more rewarding and impactful when it's been uh it's been integrated in this sense of transmutation it's coming from something else like the the sense of journey in that is very important so yeah in that way um coming through i you know through ayahuasca work has just amplified that but i was actually invited to create some music specifically for ceremony at a certain point which was an immense honor and, you know, as most people who are into this type of work know, like tradition is vital and yeah. electronic music is a rather or can be um, any within ceremony, electronic devices and computers and um, mm-hmm. probably perhaps a lot of different types of electronic music feel stifling and or draining in some ways and are counter to the fluidity and the kind of mm-hmm. very f- uh, fragile states that people are in, you, you know, it, it's right. easy for people to be jarred out of their, yeah, out of their journey. And it's just a very delicate thing. So yep. uh, I went into this experience of this invitation to compose and curate and craft music for uh, some really powerful ceremonies that I ended up uh, performing and, and mm-hmm. sharing this work in. And that was an opportunity for me to take the things that I had learned from my own experiences and integrate them into work that was specifically designed for future experiences, but to come to that with a care and um, consciousness and awareness that I otherwise that I wouldn't have had otherwise had I not already been through some really deep ceremony experiences myself, and so it just gave me this distinct understanding. At least, you know, I think it's this is something that could be cultivated over a lifetime. But at that juncture, I was able to remember the feelings and the the revelations that I had had within my own ayahuasca mm-hmm. journeys to, and, and to be able to translate that into music to share with others in a ceremony context, 
which yep. <clears throat> went extremely well. And I was feeling a bit, um, you know, of course, a little self-conscious going into an organic, normally acoustic music dominated space. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, because this comes from such a deep lineage of tradition and bringing music that some people may have been a little skeptical to be like, oh man, we're going to, we're going to have electronic <laughs> music in the circle tonight is how's that going to go. Right. And so that was just a, an extremely inspiring and humbling and uh, insightful um, opportunity to, to be able to take this work and share it and have it be incredibly well received mm-hmm. um, and have people come up afterwards and just give me like the deepest hugs and being like, man, I didn't know what to expect, but you're, beyond welcome to come back and do this in circles anytime and from some very well-respected people in the community. Uh, so that was just, uh, you know, incredibly inspiring. So from all of that, um, there's another aspect I'd like to mention, which is through some of my deepest moments of transmutation and transcendence within ayahuasca space, I've also had visions of, kind of uh, utilizing music as a platform of uh, storytelling and alchemy and not just telling the story of duality about my own life experience, but rather reflecting echoes of other times and places and cultures and um, perspectives throughout you know, throughout the uh, whole of human experience. Um, Mm. It's not just about me or my little point of individuated consciousness experience on this planet, but rather channeling. It's kind of a sense of tapping it like every song or everything that could ever exist already does. And you're not creating these things. You're just, of course, facilitating their translation into this tangible reality for others to experience. And so this is something that I've always felt very strongly about and um, has been integrated into my work, but ayahuasca has amplified that to a degree where I have intuitions that I would, that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have otherwise or certain sensibilities of kind of how to, use harmony and melody and chord yeah. progressions and um yeah, your music texture. really stands out in that regard i feel like it is very experimental um but it still sounds good like it nothing sounds out of place although it's like i've never heard these kind of textures i think you're really blending things in a way that is novel and i don't know you're like creating your own genre or something it's just like very I don't, yeah, I get the sense of like, like space, stars, galaxies, deep metaverses, you know. But I'm a, I'm I'm Matt, you know. I'm me. Like <laughs> this is my mind where where it can, yep. where it can go. But your textures are very at home in that. You know what I mean? And definitely want to commend that kind of I don't know approach that really feels unique to you. Um, I don't think I've ever heard another artist doing it. Thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, I've, I've had a lot of deep influences musically over the years that I think have also contributed to that, um, that, you know, that approach or aesthetic 
that has uh, come to life in my work, but it's also just been absorbing experiences with other people and cultures and uh, having insights about, you know, times past, present, and future that reflect on the overall collective human consciousness. So it's kind of like telling stories from the Mm -hmm. spectrum of human existence and collective thought. Uh, And I, I feel like sort of as artists were stewards of that, like it's not like when you start to see this kind of tapestry and this grand uh, spectrum of rich experience that we can draw from just across the overall history of humanity, uh, it opened up a whole spectrum of expression to me and the ability to kind of tap into different perspectives that I I wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, it's been incredibly instrumental in that way. And also very much absorbing medicine, like, you know, proper acoustic indigenous medicine music and, but, you know, both contemporary medicine music and that of the past, but the way that the harmonies and the melodies are presented that, you know, the Icaros, the way that it uh, taps into transcending and, and dealing with these deep, sometimes difficult emotional experiences and and holding your hand throughout that process and being, you know, really meeting you where you are and soothing you through those, through the, you know, the, the melody and the harmony have so much to do with that. And I think I've drawn a lot of influence from just absorbing that and observing that in other people's work. Mm -hmm. And I try to integrate that into electronic music that can also be dancey and exciting and bold and fun and adventurous um, and experimental. I try to integrate all of those things, but melodically speaking and melody is, you know, paramount in my tastes. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the, just the, the harmonic content of medicine music has had an incredible uh, influence. 1000%. Yeah, it's very unique. Um, Medicine music tends to, yeah, have this very natural, um, I think one of the terms that they used to describe it is organica. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just this kind of, like, it almost is almost, it's almost as if trees were making music, which I love. I love that aspect is, yeah, medicine, music, psychedelic, visionary music, a lot of times it feels almost like nature made it. And in a way, it's the job of the artist to get out of the way and let the nature within us create that. You know what I mean? Because we are nature, you know? Yes, <laughs> to, exactly. to quote Terrence McKenna, you know? And that gets into a whole other can of worms, but is, therefore, is there anything that we create that is not nature? You know, like, Right. I've heard that told about like things like MDMA, you know, where it's like, well, it's not natural, but you know, and and I've had that view myself in the past where I would be like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm into natural things, mushrooms, cannabis, not so into the chemicals. And I would tell, uh, you know, a mentor of mine about that, like, yeah, MDMA isn't natural. It's like, everything's natural. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think, some things be found in a natural occurrence that don't require human intervention 
their design just ha- happens to be perhaps more immediately um, uh, compatible or convenient with our biological design. Mm-hmm. But who knows if we keep doing MDMA for the next thousand years, perhaps our bodies will evolve to be like, this is the most natural feeling compound in the world. You know, like, right. is it just a matter of catching up with the integration and the compatibility of various things with found within ourselves and nature? You know, like that's, right. I think that's a solid question that I don't totally know the answer to, but I I'm leaning right. towards the fact that yes, because we are nature, I don't really think there's anything we can do that is not within nature. It just seems mm-hmm. kind of absurd. Yeah, it just gives me the thought about the um, stoned ape theory and about how we may have evolved because of the chemicals we were using to make us more uh, mental animals and less physical. So we got smaller. If we were apes, we got less muscles. Most of us, <laughs> some people yeah. were like, still, but that's cool. And, but, you know, we had less hair because we needed less protection. And as we're getting more like mental uh, by using things like mushrooms and cannabis as apes, like slowly evolving over time to be where we are now. And then when we use those chemicals or plants, it just feels so natural and so right. And so of the nature of the experience of being a human that just, yeah, like you said, kind of project into the future for a thousand years and things that seemingly we're creating now might have evolved us to some other place, you know, and that was our nature back then. So now it's supernatural now and the body's evolved to be way more, you know, like uh, less affected by it in any negative sense. You know, because, you know, there, there are side effects to things like MDMA, especially if, if overdone. So always do your research. But it's just funny to say that, like, in the future, it might be where we came from, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I think with something like MDMA, <clears throat> and I could also talk about some of the, uh, the side effects that, that has had, but, uh, you know, the effects of it and the positive effects have been... <laughs> I couldn't think of anything more natural. Like it's been mm-hmm. so deep and so integrated and so just resonates in this way. That's so useful being a natural <laughs> life form on this planet that uh, it's hard to top in some ways. Like it's mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorite, favorite medicines, but um, yeah, because of the immediate implications of it, not being maybe as biologically compatible as say some things found in nature that were not of human intervention. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that's why there are some side effects or like prices to pay for that sometimes. But mm-hmm. in my experience, it's been worth it. <laughs> it's been yeah. very worth it. Yeah. A yeah. day of rest. Right. And then I've spoke about this a whole bunch about how so much of the quote unquote side effects of MDMA aren't from MDMA itself. It's from the activities paired with it which is staying up way later than usual, not eating, not drinking enough water, you know, like things that that would mess you up whether MDMA was there or not. You know what I mean? So it's like if you just decided to stay up all night, one night, no MDMA involved, the next day you're going to feel a little tired. You're going to feel a little different. And that's often the experience paired with MDMA is, oh, you're staying up super late till 4 or 5 a.m. and whatnot and then you wonder why the next day you're a little tired right but if you plan everything out right do it as responsibly as you can with as much research with as much research behind 
that experience as you as you can, then there can be minimal to no side effects, I think. Agreed. I mean, it's another thing that I <clears throat> that I very much value from ayahuasca work uh, is preparation and dieta. Yeah, and, that too. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm the most... <laughs> the most perfect and devout person at dieta, but I, I really do try to at least take a week or two of preparation. And, uh, I'd like to go deeper into that, uh, as well. But I think that the same practice should be applied to all of these things, at least to some degree. Like I found even just say with MDMA that if I exercise and I and breathing well and i take time to to meditate and just clear my mind like for a couple days beforehand and i know that this experience is upcoming yep and i just feel in a naturally great state the experience has um, far less uh, detrimental after effects Mm -hmm. right Um, i think the same you know that sense of reverence of like i'm about to engage in this powerful consciousness altering you know Mm-hmm. scenario like it should it requires reverence it like and, and that is sort of overlooked in the realms of hedonism and the realms of like ah fuck it let's just party like mm-hmm. uh you know there's not not no sorts of judgment towards that but in my own experience it's like if i prepare a little bit it goes a long way yeah and it also creates that spiritual container as well which is why i've always resonated with both yoga and, you know, ancient um, traditions like Buddhism um, that really just like put this seriousness on the practice and, and translating that to the medicine work as well, where it's just like, this is a serious spiritual feat. This isn't just a party, even things like MDMA. This is a yep. serious spiritual feat that you're going to enter. In fact, I think people can reach states of samadhi through MDMA, yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. So yeah, it's a spiritual thing. And for you to take it seriously a few days before, a few days after, it's like, hey, this isn't just like, let's have fun and giggle. It's like, oh, let me go deep into the subconscious and really like learn about what it means to be alive on this planet right now and who I am exactly. and what I'm here to do, you know? Exactly. And then <clears throat> I think it's just sort of we're go. It's it's just been normalized uh, culturally to not necessarily think that way about certain substances or certain um, party experiences that also mm-hmm. transcend party experiences and become spiritual experiences. There's like there's not that much distinction there for some people. They just sort of lump it in with like, oh, I'm just going to do this party thing, and that's just that's just a cultural conditioning kind of thing that we can very much change just by talking about it communicating and sharing uh the rewards of our experiences which like we're doing right now exactly that's why i love the podcast that's why i love it so this is a question that i like to ask uh ask artists when i have them on because i think it provides a lot of value to other people that are just becoming artists themselves or you know have been trying to hone some type of discipline to start creating and that is what is the ritual that you typically use or the format to create music to have a session in the studio um are there things you do before like what's the things that that the container needs to have in order for you to like really dive deep into the practice because it's probably not like having a conversation on the phone while you're making music it's 
got this kind of ritual to it. So for you, totally. what what is like the way that you go about um, diving deep into a music session? For sure. Um, <clears throat> well, first and foremost, um, I have found it to be useful to, you know, from an electronic music producer's perspective, found it useful to have sound design sessions beforehand and um the point is when you show up on the day where you you know you're going to have time set aside to write music that you have an environment that you've created and explored beforehand to some degree that you know it's on tap to have um you know ideas and content and synth patches and presets and and just overall an environment that's tailored to your tastes, preferences, and vision, ready to go, uh, at least to some degree. I mm -hmm. didn't used to do that quite as much. I'd kind of just wing it and show up and kind of just create things on the fly. And I still do that to some degree, but I have found it uh, over the years to be a lot more useful to, to separate those processes so that when I show up to just write music, I can stay in the flow state. So I just want to, preface it by making that clear that that has, I think it's really worth mm -hmm. the effort to have the discipline to do that. Yeah. Um, again, I didn't always, but I feel like I do now and it's, val yeah. it's valuable. I've so, heard that. I've heard that from other really talented producers as well, which is more or less make a template of your Ableton so that, you know, you easily have things accessible and not starting from a brand new project every time, which is, can be done. But just to make it easier on yourself, right? To create like um, this place to draw from, almost your canvas and your paints, you know? Yeah, it's it's not about being formulaic or anything because I think some people could feel like that that is could be stifling in that way. I never show up being like, oh, I know I'm going to make this type of track or um, mm -hmm. I'm going to make a track that sounds a, a lot like the one I just did. So you know, I don't I don't show up with a kind of rigid plan like that at all. Uh, which I'm about to get into, but just to go deeper into that, <clears throat> I find it to be just really valuable to accumulate uh, ideas and, and keep a backlog of just sounds that you've been attracted to in the past that you've used effectively in other pieces of work, mm -hmm. um, samples that you have put a lot of thought and passion into curating and cultivating, and you know that you want to use them at some point yeah. uh, synth patches that you have really cultivated and personalized to your taste and aesthetic and excite you. The point is to show up armed with an environment that's filled to the brim with preferences yeah. with, with things that are available just on tap intuitively so that you can, you can just pick them up and express yourself. And uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It, it brings to mind this funny video that I saw on Instagram at some point that shows like what people think producing is and then mm -hmm. what producing actually is. And it's a dude right. like going through a snare over and over, just this snare, that snare, this snare, that snare. He's going down his list of snares. So instead of, yeah, like showing up with nothing and then your whole two hours is spent just picking out the drum pattern you know, build that thing once and fill it to the brim, like you're saying, and then show up and knowing you love all these snares, all these kicks or whatever they are, exactly. so that you can just get to the creating, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yep. You know that there's nothing you can draw upon in your environment that you don't like. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's just exactly. all there waiting for you. Love that. And yeah, that takes time. It takes discipline and diligence. Um, and you've got to be a nerd. You've got to be mm-hmm. super dedicated to that in order to show up uh, that prepared. But man, when you can just flow, it's you. it, it all comes to the forefront that like, wow, all that time and energy was very, very worth it. So that being said, um, when I know that I very much subscribe to um, the, I, I was a quote recently that I read by David Lynch where he's like, if you want to get a good hour of painting in, you need to have six hours to paint. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to have a container of time where you feel free yeah. and that you feel empowered to explore and not have limits. I mean, of course there are always limits, unfortunately in this mortal mm-hmm. life, but uh, you know, to have that sense of freedom is extremely important. So I try to make sure that if I'm going to get into it, I can really get into it. I yep. sometimes I'll work for an, an hour here, two or three hours there, but I usually really need to feel that I have at least a whole day if not two or three days that I can tune everything out. Yeah. So that's an extremely uh, important backdrop to, to the ritual. Right. Uh, I feel, and <clears throat> I need to be able to go deep and feel um, able to do that. So all of that being said, if I know that I have that container of time, I know that I have my environment prepped, I can show up and feel like just purely inspired and what I'll do at that point is I very much show up with zero expectation. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes there are things that I'm inspired by or I'll have like a, an idea or an aesthetic or a beat or a rhythm in my mind for sure, mm-hmm. but not much more than that. Uh, I don't have any kind of expectations stylistically or genre-wise or how you know this is going to fit in into any trend or fat like it to me it's so important to tune all of that out as much as possible mm-hmm. which is its own challenge at times just in the world we live in with social media and right with um, being really into what other artists are doing and all of that so i think it, it takes a certain amount of mental resilience and discipline to learn to tune things out mm-hmm. but to me um you know that's why going out into nature, uh, creating like, just like with, the with an important medicine, uh, experience to prepare for it to some degree, mm-hmm. to put yourself in that space where you can tune into your authentic voice that only you have. Yeah. It's paramount. It's paramount. And that requires tuning out the external as much as possible so that you can tune into the internal. And so I think, you know, there, there's a multitude of ways to do that. But for me, personally um spending time outside and getting exercise and engaging in my body so that my mind and body are in a good physiological state Mm -hmm. is also very important just like i'm showing up to an ayahuasca ceremony because this is a sacred act and uh you know not to put so much pressure on it you're like oh man i've got to do this perfectly you you show up ready to play but it's a sacred play right like you're Mm -hmm. So I, I try to, I try to always find new ways to enter that state of mind, and I'm always expanding on that. But mm-hmm. uh, my regular go-to is, you know, I I like to get up and go for a run and exercise and just get my body feeling good. 
because there's so much sitting that's involved. Like I, I yeah. tried doing the standing desk thing, but I just sort of work better when I'm like comfortably sitting down sure, sure. a lot of the time. Um, <clears throat> and if I'm going to be kind of sedentary, like all day like that, I just, I need to get my mind and body into a good state. So that's a very important part of the ritual. Yep. And cannabis is uh, hugely <laughs> consistently <laughs> helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that I don't often create without it or refine ideas without it. But a lot of the time when I'm writing, like when I'm really getting into songwriting mm-hmm. and I'm really just getting into idea creation um, and writing parts and writing phrases and creating melodies and atmospheres and just like really setting an emotional narrative that mm-hmm. is going to define the track. Cannabis has been like, consistently reliable for me to just kind of tap into this ethereal state. Um, So it's a lot of different things that, that align Mm -hmm. with that and showing up again with no expectation and just ready to explore this, to show up with this sense of limitlessness, like anything is possible. I can do anything in this space. It's a sacred container to play within Mm -hmm. and I'm just showing up with maximum humility, no expectation and no attachment to outcome. Right. And then enter this state of ethereal awareness, which to me at that point, cannabis is like a sacrament. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a tool to reach another state of consciousness where uh, music just comes to me. Uh, yeah. Music just, and I start to enter a flow state where I forget what I'm doing and I for I, time has no meaning and, Love and that. that's when I'm tapped in. So absolutely finding that flow yeah. state. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Cannabis has, um, is a tricky one and, and it's not commonly known because for the most part, everyone digs cannabis, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, for some reason or another for me, and, uh, this is just a conversation I've had on some past podcasts, Sometimes um, cannabis can be counterproductive for me, um, but what I've been learning more recently is it's kind of about saving cannabis for the time when it's most useful and most effective, go. which would be during this music creation session and not something that is like a 24-7 thing, exactly. um, more or less. So yeah, like keeping the container to where cannabis can be used in its most effective um properties um you know which is creativity and stuff Um, 100 but that's not the case for everyone because i know people who chief in the morning chief all day chief at night get up and do it the next day and that their life's going great so it really just depends you know where you're at and your particular journey but definitely resonate with a ton of what you said about how to create and you know a lot of people that know the music scene know that cannabis is like kind of intricately interwoven into that culture as well so totally yeah i mean it's 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 most effective at me when when uh, focused into that initial creation phase and then later when i get into the more technical aspects and mixing and engineering and Mm -hmm. uh, even arrangement um well uh, during the arrangement phase i find it to be useful as well but Mm-hmm. When I get into the more technical, like left-brained aspects, it's a detriment to me. It slows me down, mm-hmm. and I need to be as um, technically precise right. and aware of everything as possible. 
I, I used to just kind of try to do it the whole time. And I, I definitely realized upon retrospect that it has kind of diluted my technical brain. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've kind of just learned to have the discipline to only use it when it's most effective. Same, yeah. same. And I think it's just a part of maturing as well, you know, because we're growing up and everything is like, let's celebrate, you know, like really every day, all day. It's like 420 every day. Now let's go. I can afford it. (laughs) You know? So, cause back in the day when you first start smoking, it's like, I can only smoke this much because it's all I can afford, you know, like back in the day, it used to be $20 would have to last a whole week, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Now it's just flows like water. Right. Yeah. Just falling. Yeah. Oh, cannabis from the sky. Sweet. (laughs) Again, coming back to the duality thing, like it's also just that things, I like to have the contrast. It's so, it's much more special when, when it's only sometimes. So, uh, Mm, absolutely. That was, that's a maturity thing. I think (laughs) like when I was younger, that was not, it was excess, you know, but, uh, I I appreciate, I appreciate the contrast. So totally same. Um, so before, before I get into like what is on the horizon for you, I had one other question that has, uh, piqued my interest, which is just kind of what is the origin of a path untold? Like the, the title, the name, like, totally. was that a download or how did that come to you? And what do you feel like it represents? Well, um, I've always been into uh, t- titles and names and words that have multiple interpretations, especially when it comes to art and titles. Like I like, I like phrases or terms or names that um, are multiple entendre kind of kind of things. And, uh, for me, the origin of a path untold actually comes from a somewhat personal and unfortunate experience with a friend of mine who was killed. Um, Mm. he was unfortunately addicted to heroin and, uh, Mm. was murdered and not to get super dark, but, uh, he was one of my closest friends and Mm -hmm. where I grew up, it was, the depths of, of poverty stricken Appalachia, like mm. drug epidemic was, I lost 15 friends before I, before I moved out of there. Like it was, it was wow. unbelievable. And I had all these close friends who were incredible people and really good hearted people and had, you know, should have had a bright life ahead of them. And in this particular case, when this happened, uh, to this particular friend, I was thinking about his story Hmm. that no one would ever know, like no one would ever know what he had, the potential that he had within him and Hmm. the potential that his life had in front of him that was never realized. And I wrote this track dedicated to him that I played at his memorial service for his mother. And I called it a path untold because it was Mm-hmm. relevant in this way that I was trying to tell a story about my friend whose story would never be known. Yeah. And that was the initial inspiration for that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the, it wasn't what I had called my project at the time. I was very much engaged in my other project, aligning minds. And that's mm-hmm. its own story. Um, you know, the, that was a duo that I had going for about 13 years, okay. but Anyway, with A Path Untold, coming back to that, um, the more I started to flip that 
phrase around in my mind, I realized that it spoke to me on many different levels and very much about how I feel about uh, the process of creativity mm-hmm. in general, which is to explore the unknown and mm-hmm. to kind of like a flashlight in the darkness to illuminate um, more and more like the far reaches of existence and consciousness and to unravel and discover this this great mystery of uh, infinity, you know, the, the concept yeah. of the, mis- the mysterium tremendum, the, yeah. the great and powerful numinous experience of existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the sense of spiritual discovery and the, the spiritual discovery that comes through create creation and through creativity. And so the more I started to flip this around in my mind, the more I realized that this phrase just echoed very powerfully for me about, um, pointing to this concept, pointing to the, to that uh, creativity is this guiding light in our lives that illuminates, um, what's in front of us or, you know, what's, what's possible and to, to be able to channel that into this incarnation. So yeah, a path untold just kind of points to, um, the eternal, uh, -hmm. the eternal mystery and the beauty of discovering it. I love it. That's amazing. Really appreciate you sharing that story. Definitely close to home. Um, and it's interesting too, because by the act of creating the music, you're giving it life in a sense and allowing it to go out and affect other people. And what's beautiful about music is it hits everyone just where they're at, you know? Um, exactly. Some people really know where you're at when you're creating it. I feel like I resonate on a high level with with that aspect. But, you know, 14 year old me that had no idea about any of this stuff could very much love it as well for a completely different reason, you know? So I'd love that music just kind of, yeah, hits people where they're at. The, the names of the artists a lot of time mean something to that person as an interpretive experience um, that might even differ from what the artist intends, you know? Exactly. So as always, the- it's a really cool part of music that's the thing. One of the things I love about it the most is just that it, it can and will be taken in a multitude of ways that is far beyond anything you can, you have the scope of reference for. Like mm-hmm. people, it's going to speak to people in ways that you can't predict and are not your responsibility even to be aware of. And then of course you, as an artist, you get that gratitude and uh, gratification from hearing how people respond and how they interpret it. But you know, the, the spectrum of interpretation is infinite. And that's, yeah. again, this name points to that as well. Absolutely. It's, it's not just a path untold for me. It's a path untold for, for all of us, you know, so. hundred percent. Well said. So uh, to, to kind of start closing up a little, I know you've got some awesome stuff going on with the Chambers Project. And I'm just curious if you would speak to that, um, what your role is with the Chambers Project, what the Chambers Project is. And um, what are the happenings around the area? Yes. Um, So, yeah, I've been working closely um, with the Chambers Project over the last year or so, uh, year and a half, and Mm -hmm. have, I don't know, for everyone who, people who aren't aware of this, I guess, within the context of this podcast, um, I'm the first musical artist on that platform 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can provide some some links and stuff just to give people a little more context as to the larger picture of what the Chambers Project is. Yeah, it's kind of a visionary but, uh, art collective. Yes, the way I see it. Exactly, Re- representing uh, Ralph Steadman and Mars One and Oliver Vernon and some just incredible luminaries of the psychedelic art world. Uh, so yeah, being the first musical artist on that platform has been, of course, just an immense honor that I'm beyond grateful for. Um, and I have become the resident sound artist and, uh, DJ producer, uh, figure within that community for the events that are happening for the, um, like every three months, there's essentially a new event for one of the a new art show that's opening sometimes mm-hmm. we have closing parties we've had uh dj Kubert and the gas lamp killer consistently as residents and mm-hmm. i'm a resident so it's usually been the three of us holding it down for each one of these events that's going to continue into the future um i just launched the official record label division of the platform of which my new album sorcery is the first release Uh, we are going to be doing, um, you know, finely crafted vinyl packages, uh, looking to take on some new artists, quality over quantity, very carefully adding to the roster. Mm -hmm. And currently there's this very exciting merger, um, happening between it's called, uh, obscura chambers and Mm -hmm. it's between obscura digital and the chambers project. We, we went, of course, into this in the podcast that we did with you. Yep. And uh, there's some extremely exciting projects that I'll be a part of um, on that horizon in terms of um, virtual reality and full-on immersive uh, projection experiences, uh, the first of which will be a collaboration with the artist Roger Dean to bring a lot of his paintings and uh, his archive of works to life within those containers. I will be doing uh, audio curation and creation and creating original content for, for those projects. And moving forward, there will be more announcements in that realm of working with uh, just more legendary artists, bringing their paintings and their visual world to life within the framework of Uh, VR and animation and full-on immersive projection experiences. Um, If you're more, if you're curious about that, definitely check out the pod, the other podcast that, that we did with Matt. It's amazing Mm -hmm. in terms of how exciting that is as uh, a realm of possibilities. Huge stuff. Yeah. So very, very excited about that. And um, I've got another four track EP that I've got cooking right now that I'm, hoping to release in I'm I'm optimistically hoping for August or September um, and you know the creative process is always uh, a little hard to plan but <laughs> or how long it's going to take but uh, yeah and then I have another EP that I'm planning to do with with time wheel let's go which will be luminous yep, yep numinous o2 which will be another oh. selection of some um, some new and some archived work that has not seen the light of day and definitely excited about that. And, uh, yeah, I've been doing a number of great interviews with some, some platforms that I highly respect. Um, 
including 15questions.net and uh, a few German music blogs. And, you know, there's just definitely like a lot more press coming out that gives some more insight into what I'm up to and what we're up to with the Chambers Project collectively. Uh, so yeah, just trying to stay as busy as I can and stay as creatively uh, prolific as possible. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Daniel. This is great. Definitely recommend to all the listeners to go listen to A Path Untold. You can find some of his stuff on timewheel.net or just anywhere, really. Um, what was your website so that we could point people to your website? Yep, just apathuntold.com. Okay, easy. Yep. And then I'm and sure I'm sure you could find all the social links and stuff from the website. Everything is there. That's really my home base. Um, and then, of course, thechambersproject.com. And if you go to thechambersproject.com forward slash music, uh, that's, that is pretty comprehensive in terms of what we're doing as a label there. So between mm-hmm. those two sites, um, that's home base for me. And uh, Chambers Project is where you can find out everything else that's going on in the ecosystem of, of that collective. Wonderful. All right, guys, that is A Path Untold. Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you.